Hello, friends. You're listening to Exit Point, a podcast about the advancement of base jumping and an exploration of its culture. I'm Laurent Fratt, producer and co-host. If you're enjoying this content, please visit our Buy Me a Coffee link in the description and give us a review wherever you listen to podcasts. In this episode, I speak with Steph Davis. Steph is one of the most accomplished free solo climbers in the world and has a long and consistent bass career. She has a unique background, including being a dedicated pianist and holding a master's degree in literature. While attending law school, she decided to drop out to pursue climbing full-time and has never looked back. She is someone who's inspired me personally with her approach to risk management and how she dedicates herself to her passions. With that, let's get Steph on the track. You do a, a lot of public speaking and podcasts, and uh, you know I think that's part of what being a professional athlete is these days. Is um, is there something that you? I mean, is there like these common questions and topics that you cover when you do talks like this? Well, I think what's really cool about your podcast and also like the changing times is the fact that we are both base jumpers talking to each other in a podcast format. Like how amazing is that? That never right. would have happened, right? Previous. Everything before was like broadcasted, right? Like to a broader audience. And now with the technology, we have this ability to like do a focus cast, right? So we're we're hitting a, a much smaller audience, but it's maybe with a little bit more precision too, right? Well, the fact that we can talk um, on a different level is really cool because usually you spend all your time making sure you talk in a way that people can understand because obviously they're not in the, that sport. And so you can't just talk like, you know, a regular base jumper, a regular climber or whatever it is. So this is really cool because you are doing a professional podcast that's reaching a pretty broad audience, which is why you're doing it. But yet here we are where, you know, we're jumpers, we're talking to jumpers. Like that's very unique. And, um, and I don't think, yeah, I think even when I have done, well, I think it's changing a little bit in climbing. Okay, I just did a podcast with Alpinist, and obviously that is for climbers. Uh, you know, we're climbers talking. That was really, really cool because you're not constantly just backing yourself up and making sure that you define every word you say and, and things like that. So, so, yeah, it's definitely changing times. It's pretty cool. Speaking of Alpinist, that was, uh, I enjoyed that. I enjoyed that podcast in general. And uh, I, I noticed one of the things about the Alpinist podcast that uh, stuck with me was uh, how they asked you um, about, or you guys spoke about how everyone always asks you, like, what's next? What's next? And you kind of covered your, that you're not like project or novelty focused, that you're on more of a routine. Did I summarize that accurately? Or... What 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 it what the gist of it was for me, or what I took away from that was that you're not really looking for a whole lot of novelty. You're not trying to to do anything new. You're not trying to um, you know be like this next headline in in climbing or or base jumping. Um, maybe I have this totally wrong. Do you can you tell me more about this? Uh, well, on some level, yeah, I guess. Uh, as it's not that I don't do new things and don't want to do new things. It's that um, it's that that is just all 
part of the flow, you know? So sometimes new things are happening. Um, sometimes they're not happening. That's just not really, uh, I guess that's not really where my mind is. Um, my mind is more on um, a life of doing these things. And then throughout that life, you know, obviously there's a ton of time when you're training or, or um, being current or, you know, whatever it is, it's like, it's just your life. That's what you do. And then at certain moments, um, this inspiration comes for something, that inspiration comes for another thing. Um, having the flexibility, the availability, and being in position to do those things is, I think, always kind of been my approach versus like, okay, I'm going to put this thing on the calendar for 2025 and then it's all about that. Like, that's not really how I, I roll, I guess. <laughs> so that's what I was trying to communicate. Is um, that something that has been consistent throughout your professional career in general? Or is that something that you sort of settled into? It's always been like that. And I think that it doesn't always get seen that way because, um, like I say, there, there are certain times when this motivation strikes and then, yes, it becomes about that. And then if it's something that other people deem significant, then that gets seen. And then it has this appearance of like, oh, big project, big project. But it's really never been like that for me. It's always been just um, really about, I would say, like positioning, you know, like making life in a position where that when a cool thing catches my eye or an opportunity comes up, then then um, it's possible to go and do that thing. And so, you know, there's a ton of unglamorous stuff that's happening all the time, <laughs> but that's just never what people focus on, I guess. I mean, understandably. What is some of the unglamorous things? Um, training, you know, training is not glamorous. And I guess mainly training, but also just um, uh, creating a life that that allows for allows for that level of openness, um, I guess. Allowing yourself to be open to inspiration, allowing yourself to perform at a certain level. Um, no, just just uh, to be to be able to do things, you know, um, like. I'm trying to figure out, I guess I'm saying, saying it in a weird way, but um, just, uh, well, for example, having a lot of freedom is a big part of it. So, uh, and at different times in my life, that's looked different. When I was, you know, 25, freedom looked like living in a car so that I didn't have any attachment or, you know, less financial problems stopping me from things um and you know now that looks different too that looks the level of uh, base stability is just different in terms of creating that type of freedom and sometimes the freedom has to not be as much for a while like this whole last year when Ian and I were building this house we didn't have nearly as much freedom of time but the idea was to then put ourselves into a place again where there's more freedom so a lot of it is just about dealing with the life stuff to have the ability to pursue the things when they come on. I can relate to that a lot. <laughs> <laughs> I had a feeling you were about to say that. 
Uh, I think I need to emulate you guys a little bit more in the the freedom side of things. I mean, I'm definitely Ellen and I are in a period of building, um, yeah. You know, and it feels really good, and uh, it's kind of like a a balancing act in a way of like you know preparing for the future and building and also enjoying the present moment. And mm-hmm. um, I don't think I always get that right. But I'm doing my best. No, I think it's a process, though. And I think that there's often a mistake, which is thinking that, oh, everything has to be all about all this freedom right this second. But then sometimes when you're living like that, if you haven't put things in place and created something different for where you look to be, then you'll find yourself with no freedom, right? So it's like in in the building phase, you always feel like, oh man, what have I done? Like it's all gone and I'm trapped, but that's not true. It's because you're thinking more long-term and, and you got to do that. Speaking of, of building and it, you know, someone, whenever you're building, there's usually other people involved. And um, I think that- That was your pep talk, by the way. <laughs> I'm inspired. <laughs> it's giving me a light at the end of the tunnel. Yeah, feel better though. Yes. You got to think long-term, big picture. It's not right. just all about today. <laughs> I'm feeling actually pretty good right now. Like uh, next week, I'm I'm going to Lauterbrunnen for a couple of days. And then I have oh, nice. like- I think almost a week later, I'm going to Spain for some skydiving, and cool. and then I have like some time in the tunnel in Sweden planned. So oh wow, and then so yeah, I have like uh, I have a lot of cool things coming up, uh, and uh, you know I'm trying to fly my wingsuit better and better every year, and uh, those are those mm-hmm. are good stepping stones to get there. That's awesome. Uh, so you're doing stuff. Come on, I'm doing stuff. <laughs> Um, when was the last time sorry, I saw you? Sorry, I, I, totally, I totally interrupted you. I'm sorry. <laughs> no, please feel free I to do that. I didn't want you to be sad. <laughs> <laughs> what, um, what, uh, when was the last time that I saw you guys? Was it? I think when we were in France, right? Yeah. And that was... Was that 2016 <laughs> or 17? Oh my God. I think, was it six? It was 16 or 17. What was it? Yeah, because, um, was it? Were you guys riding lifts and jumping legally? Well, I remember we, because we went to Europe in 2018. That's when we went to the wingsuit tunnel in Sweden. Did we see you then? I don't on think. On that trip? Because I think cause we were definitely, I forget what else we did on that trip. Because hmm. that was like right before Ian's accident. And then everything got weird. Yeah. Basically most... until now. Most people don't come here anymore. Like before when there was the lifts, you know, people would... Was, uh, was Bravant shut in 2018? God, I think it was... Yeah, it's yes, for sure. It was closed in 2018. Okay, so we... It, it was closed in 18 or 19? 18. 18. So we probably didn't... What did we do? Isn't that funny? I can't mm. even remember. That's so bad. <laughs> I guess we didn't come in 18. So the last time we would have seen you would have been, yeah, because we're, I remember now um, we jumped with you. You and Ian jumped. Remember when you and Ian jumped Provant and I got like so upset because I didn't know where you landed. Yeah. You remember that? Yeah. We flew yeah. really far right and uh, yeah. you hadn't been told. And yeah, that was not cool. That's not cool. No, no. That, yeah, I remember that. That So that was, whenever that was, which was definitely before 18, because Bravant was open, 
that's the last time we saw you. You know, uh, that kind of reminds me of something like um, anger. Um, <laughs> uh, I'm trying to be serious here. I'm um, sorry. I just thought <laughs> you just went straight into the, <laughs> this emotion. It reminds me anger. Yeah. No. I love well, it. Like I've been, you know, I've been honestly I've been working on myself, like doing some therapy and these conversations have inspired me to, or actually, you know, these it didn't inspire me. It brought a lot of stuff to the top. Um, and I've been examining the fat on the top of this, uh, milkshake and, um, anger was like something that always was like, was like a go-to emotion for me, you know, when I was scared. And, um, is that, do you have a go-to emotion? Like when, when things go wrong, like, is there one that feels the easiest to slip into? And, you know, maybe like, let me make this a little bit more clear. Like when you hear about people having accidents, you know, maybe not like within your like small entourage or someone who's very close to you. Um, is there a particular emotion that seems to be the most common that, that rises inside of you? Mm, no. Aren't I a great interviewee? Sorry. No, that's um, fine. If it's not, if you don't have, because I, for me, yeah. it's, I often have frustration and anger. Yeah. And, um, you know, I mean, that's not the same as thinking that, you know, you know, your companion is not safe, but mm -hmm. if there's nothing there, there's nothing there. Yeah. It's, it's kind of, I mean, it's weird when you I mean, we've we've had a bunch this year in Moab of um of losing people and you know some some closer than others to me and yeah you know it's really it it takes a while um it takes a while for me to understand i guess emotionally if the person is gone so it takes them a moment to to for that to that realization to sink in yeah and for a while i wondered um am i just like numb to things because of that because you know this has been going on for a long time between climbing of course with climbing before i ever got into jumping i've been having friends die for a long time and for a while i thought am i just like numb and i don't don't feel it right away but then obviously when mario died i definitely felt it immediately so it, it's not that it's i think it's that um i think it's that with such a big floating community of friends like for example you and i don't even know when we saw each other last time and now we are unraveling it's been like years so i think how it is for me is i have a lot of friends that i just don't see very often on a daily basis and so when somebody dies, like you don't really feel it because at first nothing's different in terms of you and that person. It's like, oh, you know, I haven't seen her for a couple years and then now I'm told I won't see her again, but I don't feel it yet. And it takes a while to understand that. Yeah, that's, um, I feel like that too. Um, oftentimes like we've had friends die and they mean a lot like in the moment and um like you know 
we often don't know their families or we don't know a, a big part of their other part of their life, like the day-to-day -day stuff. You know, we know them in this sort of adventure scenario. And it, yeah, it hits a little bit different. Do you, um, this is like think, making me think about community. Um, what do you think about the, the base community? Like what sort of images and thoughts does that evoke for you? Hmm. How many base numbers are we like between five and 6,000, something like that, right? That are I, don't active. I mean, people always ask that and I never know the answer. I listened to your podcast with Robbie and you guys were talking about that. And Robbie was saying that maybe it's not changing that much because a lot of people come in and out. Um, so, yeah, I've always been a little bit curious about that, too, on some level. I guess it definitely feels like. Um, like what he said makes sense because there are people you've sort of known for a long, long time. And then sometimes, especially in Moab, I'm sure the same for you, where you are, it's a little confusing because some years come and there's all these people and you're like, wow, I don't <laughs> know anybody really. And it used to be that you always did. Um, so I guess it, it sort of feels like it's growing, but, but I'm not sure. I don't know those sort of numbers. I feel like you would have your finger on the pulse a little bit more than Robbie does or that I do because, you know, like the kind of jumping that we do is sort of, you know, I mean, he obviously has an idea of sales numbers and stuff with the suits, mm. but like mm -hmm. it's sort of isolated, the, the jumping that we do. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, you go to Tombstone, you know, on a Wednesday and um, I would think that you may like have you seen more people there? Do you notice that there's more and more jumpers? Moab yeah, is feels... attracts more beginner-ish type jumpers than it than you know, like uh Varan does. It feels seasonal, um, still. It's just more so. Like, you know, um, you know, Turkey Boogie when Jimmy and Marta would have dinner. That was Turkey Boogie. <laughs> there right. would be like six of us, you know. Um, so now Turkey Boogie is like a giant rave and so it's kind of more, but it's, yeah. And I guess when I think of it that way, it's definitely more, but, but um, I don't know. I, I kind of tend to just, you know, I, I do a lot of jumping by myself with Ian, um, couple, a couple people that I like to go jumping with, but I guess I kind of don't, I, I kind of stay away from like the more crowded aspects of it. And so at certain times of year, I just, you know, kind of do my own thing. Why, why would you say that? I mean, I'm sort of similar in the way, like I'll, like the other day I went to Donda Kroll for like the, th the first time in like eight years. And I found myself in a van with like nine other people. And, uh, I just got nervous, right? Like. I'm a pretty empathetic person and uh, there was some newer jumpers and I was just like, you know, how's, is everyone going to be okay? And like, yeah. you know, I, I kind of go through this, like, I can't really check out of the idea of like checking in on people and making sure that everyone's, you know, I'm not going to be part of something that's going to be a, a disaster. Yeah. Is that how you feel? Um, partly that, yes. Um you know, having been around for enough accidents and things, it's like, it, 
you know how it goes down when somebody gets hurt or dies, like you're in it. And so you have to be pretty sure that you um, want that uh, or, or more, more open to that possibility. That's one thing. And then um, the other thing, I mean, really one reason I do jump by myself a lot, um, you know, with the caveat that there are things, precautions I take to mitigate that, because obviously that's a higher risk decision. But, um, but uh, there, there's a lot of just energy when there's more people. So even if all the people are my friends, it's very selective for me that I'll want to be in a large group, uh, regardless of who the people are. It could be a large group of people I really like and know well, and it's just different energy. And so um, it's, it's just hard to, when there's a lot of energy, it's just, um, it's much harder for me to listen. And so, it, it, and you know, it's great. It could be great energy. It's just harder for me to listen. And so I have to always kind of, I just, that's something I think about. And that's part of jumping for me is um, listening. So I, and that's not to say I don't sometimes like to be with friends. Like sometimes it's super nice um, and I don't dislike it. It's just that that's just one thing that's different. What are you listening to? Well, um, primarily conditions first is the first thing and then because you know here especially I'm pretty picky about wind in Moab with the slider off jumping I'm very picky about the wind so I like to spend time at the top and if there's anything to listen to I like to make sure I'm listening to it and um, just really make real decisions about it and so yes, that's just like as simple physically as hearing wind or not. Um, it's it, it's only more of a thing if there's a little wind, right? And then you're trying to make decisions about that. And then, but then um, just also like, um, I feel very inarticulate today, but we're talking about things that are that, are that way. Um, more like uh, the, the feeling also like so a lot of that is going to be with the wind um, and the outside conditions but especially in jumps that are like new for me or places that are new for me like I just need to kind of feel the feeling and then um, and then there's the the like the interior stuff like how I am feeling and so you know if you're um, if you're talking to somebody then it's a totally different thing and that could be fine, but then when you start multiplying that and then there's, you know, three people and then you're all talking, that starts to be a lot. Or like four people, it just starts to be a lot. And then I can't listen as well. You're someone that I think, um, well, the way that I see you is someone that like really appreciates a lot of focus you know, listening to you talk in person and then listening to interviews that you've done and things that, you know, interviews that you've done that are on written form. There's a lot of talk about your days, you know, studying piano. Uh, I studied Suzuki as well, by the way. And um, do you think that um, that drive for focus, I mean, because when we're base jumping, there's really no... You know, except for like what we're talking about here at the exit point where you may be distracted by a friend who's talking or, or, or whatever, all the social stuff that comes along with that. 
that uh, base jumping is really like there's no question that you're going to be focused. Like, you know, you've, mm-hmm. you've geared up, you leave the cliff, and it's 100% focus. You've never like, I mean, I've never experienced it where I'm only like, you know, at a 75. It's like you're in it 100%. <laughs> and I'm wondering, is that something that drives you to continue the jump? Or is there something that stands out in particular that you could put your finger on that drives you to, to continue to jump? Definitely the focus is, I think, what's so appealing or well i guess there's a lot appealing right but but um with any sport that's what is i think pulls me in the most and you know i get that through climbing especially certain types of climbing um definitely through jumping and i think that's a huge part of it i think that's for all sports right i mean no matter what you like doing that's the like people who are really into right. golf, <laughs> there's like, you have to be super focused. Um, I just think as humans, like that's our, that is our greatest strength. And um, the more we can put ourselves in that place and really prioritize that state of being, especially now. I mean, don't you feel like now it's even harder? Don't you feel like just everything is so connected and digital? Oh, absolutely. And- global communication and it just seems like so hard now compared to how it used to feel I, I it's hard for me to say because like you know i work as a news producer and so like i'm like exposed to this fire hose of information when i go to work and then i what i notice is mm-hmm. that like if unless i ride my bike to and from work that i have this really like weird gray zone where like i i just have to like pull away from the phone and physically put it away from me or like i have this like reoccurring Mm -hmm. desire to like look back at that stream you know whether it be online with the social media stuff which is also part of the work that i do or like the 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 news items that keep coming up and it's it's a real like it feels like pulling a suction cup off of a, a window sometimes and yeah I mean, I remember we used to have to, uh, I would like take rest days climbing and go to the payphone <laughs> to make my phone calls. No, I did. And you had calling cards. And, yeah. I... Yeah. And and like I would write people postcards to like have friends because I lived <laughs> on the road. You know? And like, so like we're laughing, right? But that's a whole different, it's like the opposite of what we're now in. So that's a big deal. And I think that the things that where we can go into that place of focus, we need that so badly or we're all going to go crazy. Yeah, it definitely. I feel like um, I'm a lot of times my work week or like my life will be, um, you know, moments like punctuated by really nice jumps where, you know, I mean, that's just my choice of, of, uh, of gaining that focus and, and having like a cl- cleaning the slate in a way. And, um, you know, like Ellen and I will joke about it. Like, you know, if we, it goes too long without having that, uh, you get irritable and, um, mm-hmm. that's definitely a, a driver for me. Um, but then there's also like, um, like, I hate to admit this, but like, I feel like there's a bit of my self-esteem that's attached to jumping. You know, like I see myself as someone who jumps. I really like the hyper capability of it. 
Um, like I am somebody who can go like, you know, charge up a mountain and jump off and fly away, you know, like that's something that I feel like my chest is like puffed up, up a little bit, you know, like I, I feel like reinvigorated as someone uh, that like what I just said. And I'm wondering, do you have something similar to that? Do you feel like um, a, a rejuvenation of hyper capability when you're doing these things? Or is there any other thing that kind of sticks out to you that like drives you to continue to base jump? And I'm asking you this because I feel like you're one of like the most resilient people. I mean, there's, there's a few, there's a few, some people out there that are, are, are extremely resilient within the sport, but you know, you've come back from significant loss and very challenging hardship. Um, and I'm sure at a certain point you were wondering, like, am I getting more than, than what it's taken? Um, Mm. so I feel like you may have some insight into what it is that actually drives you to continue to, to keep doing it or, or do you, is it simple to you that that's, this is what you do? Well, I guess, um, okay. So just, uh, uh, so I've been climbing for, um, like over 30 years now, which is kind of crazy. Um, so jumping is newer for me. I've been jumping for 15 years. Um, so by the time I started jumping, I'd sort of lived this life of um, kind of what you talked about. In some ways, it's almost like your whole identity is in this sport that's also very much about a way of life. And, um, you know, kind of like this is how I see myself in a way, not just that I do the activity. And um, and then when I started jumping, it was really interesting because then jumping is also a thing like that, I guess, right? And so for me, I've always identified like my whole adult life as a climber and then entered a different world where it's like, well, I'm a climber, but now I do this jumping thing. <laughs> and then over time was like, yeah, I guess I'm a jumper too. Um, but yeah, I, it's funny because I would, yeah, now I'm just like, I don't know, I, I guess I, and I, and I really like trail running. <laughs> That's like a thing I, I seriously dig. So it's kind of like, I don't know, I almost feel it more as like, um, maybe not so much a, this uh, sense of identity attached to these things as um, maybe more the fact that, that it's almost like, such a part of uh it's just such a part of life in a way I, I know that um it's always a strange question to me like because okay when I got um when I'd been jumping for se several years and um yes had like some pretty big losses and then as we talked about uh you know part of what I do for a living in a way is talking to people and um, you know talking about these things and people would say oh well are you still gonna jump now <laughs> and it, it was always just like a funny question to me because I was like well it appears that you think that I've only been having losing people in my life because I jump but it's been going on for a lot longer than that um, and then it's not always just doing your sport, right? 
it's like the fact that all kinds of stuff happens. And so I guess I never really, I guess I just never really thought of it that way as like, oh, if I stop doing sports, then like bad things won't happen anymore because <laughs> it's not really like that. But, um, but, <laughs> but yeah, a lot of it's, I, I think, you know, you just kind of go on through life and, and there's certain things that, that really stick, that really draw you. Um, you know, climbing's that for me. I can't really imagine not climbing. And, um, and then jumping seems to be that for me. I mean, it's been 15 years. We'll see what happens as we go forward. I mean, you know, things, you never know, right? You never know what happens in life. But those seem to be my primarily deepest um, activities that I most love doing in life. So, so I feel like I got really no, sidetracked. I, I, uh, I like what question. you're saying there. And what I think about sometimes now lately is that, um, that we do know and that we will, in fact, at some point lose, you know, faculty of our strength and, and uh, move towards like more cerebral activities. And, um, you know, it, it does make me nervous sometimes to think that like all of my stoke and fun is sort of relies on my physical body. And, uh, you know, we could probably yeah. be um, at a benefit to, I don't know, um, get more enjoyment out of reading books or, you know, painting or, you know, playing piano or something like that. Mm -hmm. But there's something about being in the mountains mm -hmm. that's just so alluring and uh, so adds so much color to my life that I'm just going to take advantage of it now while I can, I guess. I just think that, you know, when you don't, if you really care about something and it's driving you, you know that and you're going to follow it. And then who knows, you know, if, like you said, if at some point it's not driving you or it's not, the, the ratio isn't there anymore of what it's bringing for you, then you just do something else. I mean, it's a pretty easy equation. This is a question that's like, I don't think uh, really popular in um, like contemporary culture, but I think that um, comparisons are, are really helpful. And, um, you know, uh, we talked a little bit about climbing and jumping changing, but uh, definitely climbing has changed a lot, right? Like women, the amount of women participating is huge. Like you're running entire clinics that are just women. And do you see like in a general sort of sense, like a difference, the way that women approach uh, risk and, and that men approach it? Hmm. That's a good question. Um, that's, I don't know, it's sort of a tough one, right? Because people are just people on some level. I'm always a little bit reluctant to assign characteristics based on like a certain thing because you meet so many people and people are so different. So it's kind of hard to say a whole group of people is one way or the other. Um, I guess I will say I, I have always had a funny perception. <laughs> and this is just from um, just uh, years ago when I was a climbing guide. That was, um, you know, how I made a living for a while. And I would always crack up because <laughs> Because uh, we would have these forms with the uh, with the guide company for people to fill out, 
just to say about yourself a little bit to know what to expect. And I would always just laugh so much because the men would fill out the forms and you would ask, you know, what level do you climb? Where, where are you comfortable <laughs> climbing? <laughs> and it would always be like so much higher than they turned out to be able to climb. And then the women would be the opposite. They would, you know, say, oh, I can essentially with the, the way they would write it, it would be like, oh, I could barely climb. And then they would come and they'd be great. <laughs> <laughs> and so I did sort of get in my mind a little, um, I guess, a, a presumption of how it was going to go down <laughs> when I got clients based on their form. <laughs> um, this is years ago, so I don't know. Um, it, I'm not sure if that's changed, but I, I will say with my women's clinics, um, that is a pretty common thread is that, that the women feel like, hey, I want to gain more confidence in my skills, and that's what I'm looking for. And you know, so many times they show up and they're they're doing great, and um, but they have a perception that they need to improve a lot more. So maybe that's something that I could still say might be a general statement. Hmm. I'm not sure. That sounds accurate, right? Like uh, men and masculinity is about uh, being confident. You know, I mean, like that's an element of masculinity, or I guess that's what we're we're taught that is we're supposed to be, you know, as confident and, um, capable and, um, you know, like maybe admitting that we're coming to get more confident would be like a, a loss, but you know, in reality it would be a massive strength, right? Like it would be like, Hey, look, I need more confidence with this. You know, can you help me? And <laughs> it would only benefit you to be more confident overall. Well, I don't know about that. Maybe if you're already overconfident, you should. You need to go the other I way. I think what we were talking. <laughs> I think it might be more that. My observation <laughs> about um, the difference between men and women um, is that, and this is, of course, a total generalization, right? Um, is that um, like just what you were talking about? As soon as that that balance um, is out of line for you, that I feel like women are more in a position to be agile and uh, move away from something when it's not fitting those needs or, or, or feels out of, out of balance. And it is less an, of an impact on their identity. And, um, and that goes uh, along with doing stupid things too. It's not like that women don't do stupid things, but I see that men are more willing to do stupid things to fulfill a sense of identity. <laughs> no comment. All right. <laughs> no, I think that's funny. <laughs> you've um you've walked down from um like I remember you um I don't know if it was like I think there was like three summers like where we spent we shared some jumps and um the first one being like the first summer we moved to France. Um, and, um, and then there was one of them where I think you walked down twice from jumps and I was really impressed by that. And I think that was when you introduced me to your three flags rule or three strikes. And, um, I really sort of like incorporated that as my own. Um, and so thank you for that. You've also talked about risk in, in other um, areas that um, 
really resonated with me too. And um, I'm wondering if you could share a little bit with me like that right now uh, about that, um, because you have categories where risk sort of falls. Um, does that, yeah, you're nodding. So then can you, can you tell me more about like these categories that you put risk in and like almost like risk on a, a spectrum? Uh, well, I guess, I mean, the whole walking down factor is such a big thing in base jumping. And I, I feel really thankful that I came into base as a, um, long time climber and a long time free soloist, somebody who has climbed a lot of mountain routes alone um, because I genuinely don't care if I walk down from like a really long technical approach. Yeah, you did it with and, um, grace. Like I remember you walking down and there wasn't an agony or there wasn't like disappointment or anything. You did it with just that grace. Well, and I just, I'm not intimidated, you know, even I'm not intimidated to go by myself even something new because that happens right you go in a group people lead you and then maybe you don't know how to get down or you think it might be scary or and so i've always kind of felt like that was a very good foundation to come into base jumping especially wingsuit base jumping um knowing that i don't care what mountain i went up i will go back down by myself and it's totally fine um don't care that's that's been really helpful for sure. Um, actually, <laughs> I am. Um, this is pretty funny. So uh, this one time <laughs> I was in Yosemite and I think it was like, it was the year after I had ACL surgery. So it was, I think it was like 2010. And um, I, I was just there by myself briefly. And um, I was like, ah, I'm in Yosemite. I'd be nice to jump Half Dome, right? Because that's, that's nice. And this buddy of mine said that he would ground crew for me. And I had already kind of made the decision in Yosemite. It used to be very hot in Yosemite. Um, it used to be bad. Like remember Frank Gambale got chased into the river and drowned. Like it used to be really bad. So it was a big deal having ground crew. And I had kind of ascertained that I think the safest way to jump there was to hike in the night and be doing like at dawn at first light. And then you must have a ground crew just because of rangers. And uh, so I had this whole plan. I was by myself and I was like, I'm going to hike up to Half Dome, leave at like two in the morning. I'll be there at first light. This buddy of mine is going to be ground crew. And, um, and I was up there at the exit point. It was perfect conditions. It was like just the dark gray. It was about to be dawn. And I, I was like literally in my wingsuit at the exit. And I'm like, why can't I get a hold of him? And um, finally, he picks up his phone, not the radio. And he's like, Steph, I'm so sorry. There's been road construction all night outside of Yosemite West. And I'm like in my car. I'm not there. And I was like, are you kidding me right now? <laughs> like, <laughs> like, I literally just charged up Half Dome for like right. the last three hours. And I had no, relatively fresh oh, wow. ACL surgery. Yeah. You know? <laughs> and I'm like, yeah, I did not want to hike down. And it was perfect conditions, perfect conditions. It was like barely first light and you can land in this little area, which is less visible, all these things, right? And I was like, I, I hate my life right now, but I'm gonna walk down. I was like so livid. I was like, I hate my life. I hate Yosemite. 
I hate humans. Like, I'm just so, I hate everything. And I am taking off my wingsuit and I'm walking down. I'm probably the only base jumper in the world that would have done that. And I was, but I was like, that's the rule. Like, I don't jump in Yosemite without ground control. And it wasn't long after that that Ammon got tased on El Cap because this is the time, the type of time it was. But oh man, I was so bitter. I was like, this is the stupidest place in the world. Like I'm at this beautiful exit point in perfect conditions and I'm gonna walk down. But it's the rule. I was like, you, you gotta have rules. <laughs> so, so it was incredibly, that, that one hurt me. I was like, I was so unhappy about that because it wasn't a real thing, right? It was because of Rangers. Right. I was like, how dumb is this? But again, you know, it's, yeah, it's like, a thing. And there so. could have been literally some Ricky rescue in the forest with night vision goggles on, like just getting his rocks off, like uh, exactly. trying to catch you. Exactly. Well, a few months later, Ammon got tased after jumping El Cap. And I mean, shoot, that's serious. Like, that's what I was so furious about. I mean, you can you kill really somebody, like, somebody that. Yeah. like that. It's not just like, I know, I know. So. So yeah, I mean, obviously it was the right decision, <laughs> but, but, but I, I was so upset, but I just, I've always felt like that you have to have some strong rules and then you got to have those rules because in those moments, it's, it's very, very difficult. But if you have the rule, you're like, you know what? I hate everything right now, but this is the rule. That's admirable. I've agonized over walking down. I'm not anymore. Like I, you know, like I, obviously I haven't just gone through ACL surgery. Like, I don't think I would do that here, but um, you know, <laughs> even if my meniscus hurts a little bit, I'm like, yeah, that part was I'm shitty. jumping in the wind. I don't care. Um, <laughs> but um, I asked you a little bit more about um, risk and, and um, how do you categorize it? Um, does any of that come to mind? Like as far as, can you speak on that a little further? Yeah, I mean, I think, well, it's sort of hard because we're talking about base jumping, right? So it's usually like the risk is pretty, it's pretty, there's some level where the risk is pretty much the same all the time, right? <laughs> where you can, um, you know, depending on what happens, you can die or, Perhaps worse than that, you can get very, very seriously hurt or you can get very small hurt or you could get crazy lucky and nothing happens. And, you know, some of that's based on you, some of that's not based on you. It's, it's, base jumping is very weird in that way, you know? So that's why I just try to be, um, I don't know. I try to be really conservative relative to any risk in base jumping because I figure Gosh, there's just so much that we can't control. And the longer you jump, the more you know that. There's so much stuff that we don't control. So I kind of just, I'm like, hey, I got to do the best I can to control all the stuff that is in my control because that's going to leave more space for all the other stuff <laughs> to happen. Yeah, like for years, I was always sort of like... Um jealous in a way, I guess, that some of the people that, that practiced in a way that was like more like surfing, you know, like this lighthearted, like, um, and carefree approach. Yeah. And they were doing really cool things. Yeah. 
And, um, you know, it's hard to sound, not sound like an old cynical person when I say this, but like most of those people are dead now. And, um, you know, like I, I really wish it could be something that was just carefree like that, but I've just, you know, and I'm ready to be proven wrong and I'm ready for new innovation and, and, and new training or whatever it would take to, to make it that way. But, um, I'm not really, I don't. I don't have that, um, jealousy anymore. It's sort of like, I look at that and I go like, ah, okay. You know, like enjoy it while it's there. And, um, you know, hopefully they'll, they'll come to a a certain realization that it's not like that. I think for me, um, I got kind of lucky in that when I first started base jumping again, as a serious climber, professional climber, um, I got slightly hurt right off the bat. Um, on a base jump and I was like, whoa, reality check. Because as a climber, like if I sprain my finger, <laughs> it's this really right. big deal for me, right? It severely impacts my ability to have a good time and do the stuff I wanna do. And so I realized very quickly, just wow, you know, any little thing that goes wrong, I could sprain my ankle and then I'm out from climbing, like as dumb as that would be, right? A very dumb little nothing injury. Even that is going to be a huge detriment. Um, so I, I very quickly got the the fear of God in me in base jumping um, because of that. You broke your, it was a pretty serious injury, wasn't it? Like you broke your back, didn't you? Um, no, the fir- okay. Well, they're they're both very minor, but the first one I actually. Um, basically got cut on my thigh. Um, I, I did fracture my pelvis in the front, but I didn't know it at the time. It was like real slight. Okay. It's like a hairline. Small pelvis. Um, and then, <laughs> no, it did, but it didn't, you know, like there's nothing you do about it. It didn't, it wasn't, it didn't stop me. It was just like, oh, ow. <laughs> and then later in a different x-ray, they were like, looks like you did this uh, before. And I was like, ah, that makes sense actually. Um, but the the real one, the one I was actually referring to was I did fracture my sacrum, but again, it was hairline. Um, they don't do anything for it. It's painful. And there is a recovery period, but it's not, you know, you're not in a cast, you're not, but it is, it is painful. And And I was like, wow, you know, this could have gone a lot differently. And, um, and as it is, I'm being stopped from doing things that I would do. And I, that's not, that's not totally acceptable to me. Um, it's not like what I want. (laughs) So, um, so yeah, it just, uh, it just makes you realize how fast, um, you can lose a lot of things. Yeah. It can get, it can go bad fast. Um, one of the things that's sort of thrown around, um, you know, in when talking about base jumping is, you know, there's no room for mistakes or like, (laughs) (laughs) how many times have you heard that? Right. Like there's no margin of error. And, um, do you find yourself in a position when you're talking to people about that, like correcting them that actually we do make mistakes pretty regularly? (laughs) yeah i mean i mean of course there's yeah i mean of course there's a ton of margin but the thing is just like how do you deal with that margin right and that's what we're always working on i would say is trying to make that margin (laughs) as fat as possible (laughs) 
so we can <laughs> carve into it a little bit. But I mean, one one way, like if you carve the the margin out too big, right, you become something like um, commercial air flight, right, where it's just like not all the fun <laughs> is gone. It's all reliable, and but then there's also this compromise for us, obviously, because one of the, I mean, at least for me, one of the driving factors is fun. And, you know, feeling speed and, mm -hmm. uh, you know, all of the, the good feelings that come along with, you know, landing after a nice flight. Um, is fun a, bit, a main driver for you? I, yeah, I like fun. <laughs> I'm, a, I'm a fan of fun. <laughs> um, and, uh, it's, and that's, that's what I'm after. I'm not after like, Oh, it was so death defying. Like, I don't, I'm, I don't like that. I'm not into it. Um, I like stuff to be fun and, and I like to do a good job. Like that's, that's fun for me having a great experience and doing a good job. So like for me, the perfect jump is, is based on that I executed everything that I wanted to do as well as I could have. And then it was a awesome experience. Um, that's like my perfect jump. I, what I hate is, um, I hate if I feel like I didn't do a good job or if something was sketchy, like I, I hate that. I think it's terrible. Like it's just ugly. And I feel like bad about myself and just bad. And that's why, that's why like, um, that's a big part of jumping. So again, back to like, I would rather not do a jump than go into something that I think is going to come out bad because it's just like ugly, you know, I don't want to, I don't want to have an ugly jump. It sounds <laughs> like you want to perform to your expectations. Like you have an ideal that you want to, yeah, um, I, per, uh, an ideal level that you want to perform at. And if you don't, then it's not even worth it to you. Yeah. Well, I just don't want to just, I, I don't want to have ugly, I don't want to have ugly jumps and bad experiences. And, and, you know, I mean, especially cause I, when I, when I'm, every time I talk about jumping, like my brain is partly thinking slider off and partly thinking wingsuit, right? Cause especially being in Moab, we're so much changing all the time. So like, but you know, there's certain pieces of, of all those kinds of jumps. Like there's pieces when you do a wingsuit base jump of like, what you need to do and how it needs to go and um like we just did we actually got, just did two off super gorgeous this morning that's why i pushed it back a little because i wasn't sure what was going to happen um a friend offered us a helicopter so we were like "Ooh, we can do two in a row yay um and like it's so specific you know like from from like being at the edge to and especially in moab right we're so obsessed with the starts and then there's like the whole start experience that you want it to be like exactly <laughs> the right way, especially here. And then um, here very quickly through the actual flight part <laughs> into the, <laughs> the flare and pitch and everything. But it's just like there's all these parts of the jump and same with slider off. There's like, for me, I'm just really into how the free fall feels on a slider off jump. And so like, that's a really big deal for me. And then like how the deployment feels and stuff. So it's like, there is this, all these pieces that if I do something wrong and a little bit less than like optimum, then I'm not going to enjoy that jump as much. 
you know, everybody um, has like a very characteristic uh, body position when they leave the cliff. Uh, like if you like snapped a silhouette of everybody, I mean, I think like you're, you're jumping friends. You, you'd be able to point out who was who, right? <laughs> and you have a very specific style, um, like by bringing your hands down by your sides, um, almost like you're getting ready to track away. What, um, when did you start doing that? Did you, was there this something ever conscious in your mind? Like, Hey, I'm going to jump off and like go head first kind of thing. Well, it was kind of funny. It was it was actually a long time ago um, because I remember I was kind of like, um, I was struggling with um, jumps where like, because again, we mostly jump slider off here. And then there's a couple places where it's like six to 800 feet. And then you're like, ah, should I go slider off? And take a two second delay, but then we're kind of wasting altitude, which we don't have a lot of slider up jumping in the area. And then, so in those cases, you could be like, yeah, I'm gonna go slider up and take a three second delay, which, I mean, it is what it is, right? There's like that whole, <laughs> like, do you even wanna do that? Um, but, and I was having a hard time with that because I was like, ah, I don't know what to do with my hands because if I'm going to slide her up, I want to do the box man. But if it's like slide her up, I want to be tracking. And now I feel all just like, eh. <laughs> and, then, and then this friend of mine was like, well, why don't you just always jump with your hands back? That's what you do in a wingsuit. And I was like, hmm, that's true. Maybe it would be better just to like take all this mess out. And he was like, Anyways, that's where your pilot chute is. So wouldn't it be safer to have your hands immediately back where your pilot chute is instead of like waving your arms around? And I was like, you are correct. And so, <laughs> so I just started doing it. And um, and once you get used to it, because you know, again, if you're a wingsuiter, it's kind of a comfort position. You want to have your arms back. That's how you go off in a wingsuit. And then you're like. Well, that the pilot shoots right there. <laughs> it's gonna be better. And no, I don't want to be waving my hands all over the place. That's not very stable. So, so it, it I think it's a little bit of a uh, messes with your brain at first because it's a change. And you know, we're taught that it's more stable to have your arms in box man and this, that, and the other. But I don't know. I started doing it, and I was like, this feels great. And um, it's like how you want to feel. You want to dive into the air instead of all like. <laughs> like hands everywhere <laughs> and yes you do want your pilot shoot like I never have concerns about like missing a pilot shoot because my hand's always there so yeah I started doing it a long time ago and for me it just feels great so it kind of started from this practical thing but it, it's like what feels the best to me very interesting <laughs> I mean I think it's worth mentioning too we went over this uh backtracking a little bit and I think it was the alpinist um podcast because uh you went back and forth talking about wingsuiting and, and slider off and um one of the things that i was sort of like uh, hoping for more um specific details about like in the alpinist podcast was that like i see wingsuit base jumping as something that's a lot more complex in a way um a lot more, a lot more. And that's, it's always hard in those moments. I was like, should I even be throwing these terms at these people? So. And it's not that but, you didn't do a good job. It's that um, 
it's just it's really difficult to explain that to the general public right like okay um totally you know, we have a single parachute totally. system we're jumping off we're throwing a pilot sheet out it comes out really quick and there's this thing called the slider and then all of a sudden they're sort of glazed over and and yeah, it's like um, too much i'm not exactly sure where i'm going with this question but um i did i just wanted to like tell you that I talked about that with Chris McNamara and I was like, there was a, an element of disappointment in a way and, and not that, that you weren't able to do it or that the podcast wasn't ever covered, but it's like that we're all sort of like thrown into like this um, one giant pot of like risk, mm -hmm. you know? And um, mm -hmm. I mean, obviously the general public isn't going to be, um, you know, keyed in on these small details, but I think it's important for us, like, um, to, to be aware of it, like that there are jumps that are a lot more intricate, mm -hmm. that have a lot more complexity. And, um, yeah. you know, we talked a little bit about going or not going, you know, jumping or walking down. Uh, do you have any other rules that you have to sort of uh, help you stay within, you know, a standard practices sort of mentality for your base jumping? And, and I'm talking wingsuiting now. Mm -hmm. um, like general rules directly yeah. for wingsuiting, like at all times. Well, I mean, I guess that's what a rule um, is, right? Um, yeah, yeah. Well, again, it's so different, right? Because it's like it's different in Moab versus like if you'd be at Brenta. Tell me about Moab, you know, though, because I don't really know. Always... I don't, I've never jumped there. Um, I'm not particularly drawn to, 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 to wingsuit base in, in Moab. I like mm -hmm. big flights. Like I don't even jump the little mm -hmm. stuff here, you know, and that's huge in Moab. Yeah. Yeah, why would you? <laughs> it sounds so snobby when yeah. I say it, but um, it's just where I'm at. No, why would you? Why would you? And I was just, I was thinking like, I'm saying I don't like to be in a big group of people when I jump, but then I'm thinking you go to Brento and here you are God. on the bus, right? The only solution is you have to wait until everyone's gone, but then there's all these other factors, like how do I get back down if I right. want to, I know all that stuff. It's just kind of, so every place has its own unique issues, I think, um, that are just special to that place. Um, and different and, and here in Moab it's it's yeah I mean it's it is so short I we just we just do it to be current really on some level um but I'm I'm very particular about jumping in Moab too I mean the first time I jumped in Moab wingsuited wingsuit in Moab was 2014 and um it had just started, basically. And we were all just like, what? I mean, especially just having lived here for so long and jump regular jump here for so long, it was just like, this is insane, right? Um, so, and then even though it becomes something that you do, I'm very, definitely thinking about it. Like there's, there's jumps here that I'm like, I'm not wingsuiting that. And it's become like a common thing. Like people go do dragon's nest. And I'm like, I'm not wingsuiting dragon's nest. That's ridiculous. <laughs> like like I, there's not enough margins there. And sure it works and it's working, but that doesn't mean anything. It's like, there's no margin, you know? So there's only, there's really just a couple of things I'll jump here. 
because I, I feel like the margin is just enough that it's still a margin, in my opinion. Um, but also it's, you know, the conditions are way more particular in terms of like, I mean, the same as anywhere on some level, but like just more choosy about the wind. It's like, okay, you know, I really need to have some headwind if I'm gonna jump this thing. It can't be a tailwind. <laughs> Don't really wanna crosswind. <laughs> and um, I'd rather have sun on the slope. I want some lift, you know, just stuff like that. So I'm way more choosy than you would be if you went to something with this awesome huge start and whatever. There's something that comes, uh, that luxury comes with being local at a site too, doesn't it? Mm -hmm. Well, I don't know if it's a luxury though. I mean, for the, th the things I'm talking about in Moab, like I, I don't, I, I just wouldn't jump here in the wrong conditions, even if I had like, if I was like, I traveled from France to wingsuit in Moab, <laughs> which I know you wouldn't. <laughs> no, but I'm definitely excited to come back and, and, and do some slider down jumping. <laughs> but, but yeah, so I think that there's always certain, um, I guess there's, I, I generally have certain rules that are going to apply all the time, but then I think there's also um, stuff that's particular to a certain place that I really think about as well. Um, but definitely, you know, just, just the main obvious stuff, like the conditions have to be <laughs> correct, depending on what that means for the place and, um, external conditions, internal conditions. Um, if there's like, you know, like we always, like we always talk about, if there's enough things that are wrong, then it's too much and just don't do it. That's it. It's like, if there's enough things wrong, just don't do it. And it's easy to say, but can always feel hard in the moment. Like, oh, I'm on my big trip and I spent all this money to be on this trip. Or, oh, this heli load's going and it's like, you know, so special, it's never gonna happen again. And you're like, oh, it's I'm like, hey, it's all gonna happen again. Just if if there's enough stuff not right, forget it. Like, I don't I guess I don't that's kind of what the luxury I was talking about. I mean, maybe you don't see it as a luxury, but I feel like there's less pressure to get it done, you know, in air quotes. Oh, for sure. Uh, because yeah. it's, yeah, yeah, it's just, you know, it's a 45 minutes away or whatever. And it just doesn't seem yeah. as yeah fleeting or as far away and yeah. harder to get to. So, yeah, yeah. That's the nice thing though, like the longer you jump, you're like, eh, there's always the coolest jump. And you know, it's like, and, and again, it's like, what? So I hiked four hours, that's fine. I hiked four hours down, I don't care, it's good exercise. You know, it's like, it's not like, you know, it's, there's always different ways to feel like pressured or committed. And, but then if you kind of step back, you're like, yeah, you know, let it go. There's always another cool thing. Who inspires you at the beginning when you were first starting out? To start base jumping. Um, not, sorry, let me be more specific. Not necessarily who inspired you to start it, but as you were getting involved, mm -hmm. like you looked to some people for advice and, and inspiration. And so I'm curious who those people were. Oh, okay. Um, well, things were like a little uh, tighter back then in terms of like people doing it this um because i started in uh, either 2008 or 7 i forget something like that and um 
And it was really just less people. Uh, hadn't really, I guess base jumping hadn't really kind of done its little first boom yet. And so um, I think I, I definitely, I would say I definitely was um, just felt closest to um, Jimmy and Marta at that time, um, as far as like people to look to, um, particularly Marta and uh, this good friend of mine, Brendan McHugh, was actually the one who taught me to skydive. And, you know, Brendan's just a good friend. Um, Jay Epstein was a good buddy. And so I just kind of had this little, again, things were just smaller then. So I had this kind of smaller group that I knew. And, and um, they'd all been doing it for a long time. And so that's kind of who I would look to and, and talk to and just kind of, you know, learn how to pack, whatever, <laughs> that kind of thing. Um, looking for advice, um, you know, there's uh, been some recent accidents and, and there is a lot of sacrifice that comes with it. And I'm wondering if you have any advice um, for people's I guess what I want to say is how was your path to recovery after losing Mario? And do you have any advice for people that lose someone close to them? Mm. Yeah, it's, um, it's actually rough right now. Cause, um, like I said, people, there's been a few fatalities in Moab and it's always like the person left behind. Right usually the the family significant others it's i i just know how hard that is um because mario died it was 2013 and um and like i said i mean i i'd lost a lot of friends so i thought i kind of knew something about that um but i did not know anything about it when it's your closest you know your spouse um it's just a completely different level um, of experience that I, I, I was totally unprepared for like what that would be like to live through that. Um, and, and it's, you know, and Ian had a big accident um, in 2019 and could have been a fatality it's been definitely life-changing for him, um, for us. And it's, yeah, it's, it's, um, it's been ever since Mario died, I always, God, my heart just goes out to people when, when there's a fatality and there's a spouse or a parent left behind because it's just so, it's, it's really, really hard to live through it. It's really hard to live through it. Um, so what I try to do is I try to, um, what I try to tell people or, you know, cause sometimes people reach out to me. Sometimes I reach out to people in that position and I just try to tell them like, you have to hang in there because it will get better and it does not feel like it will ever get better. You would rather be dead right now. And th I, that makes sense totally get that but don't don't do it hang just hang in there because 
um, you can be happy and it takes a lot of time and that's just it just takes time a lot of time is daunting it is it is and you have to you have to really um it's it's just it's really it's it's really hard because i guess the other thing i was given very 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 kind and loving and amazing advice um from karen sacco who had been through this herself and it was someone that i reached out to at the time because i knew that and was like i don't know how to do this and um and she at the times you know because you're you're looking for like what can i do <laughs> like right now and she told me a lot of things but one thing she told me was um she said the best advice she was given was don't do any 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 sort of chemical substances um, and i took that to the extreme of i didn't drink coffee oh, wow. Um, you know, no kind of any chemical substance doesn't mean recreational versus pharmaceutical. It means like nothing. And um, I was like, okay, that's a thing I can do. <laughs> you know, I can just no alcohol, no no sleeping things, no caffeine, um, eating perfectly healthy, at the point where you can move, going on walks, like things like that, like extreme health and. Um, just facing everything like immediately, not trying to push anything to the back because it's gonna have to happen and you may as well just do it <laughs> as hard as you can. Um, so, but it's, yeah, like I said, my heart just goes out to people when, um, when someone is lost for them because it's the hardest thing that a person will have to do is be the one, be the one that stayed. It kind of goes back uh, to what you were talking about earlier, or, or at least that's what I'm thinking about now is like, uh, you know, even if you're not involved in this, it's not like nothing bad happens. And uh, my cousin, who's like, you know, 35, died in his sleep um, last month. It's been a month, month and a half now. Oh, I'm so sorry. And uh, thank you. Um, and you know, one of the things that I fear the most is like just feeling um, like I missed out or that I didn't live the best life that I could. And um, I think that's where sort of this feels worth it in a way is like our lives have this, they feel extraordinary it's hard to say you know to someone who's just lost their significant other or their son or daughter or something like that that you know it makes sense to us but in a way it does 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 yours feel like it makes sense you mean yeah. like my life this path this <laughs> this path of, of um, adventure and doing the things that we do I mean, I don't free solo like you do or climb at an extremely high level, but I think that we share something, you know, that uh, we're searching for something similar. Mm -hmm. I think what's interesting about life is that I think that it's just interesting, like, it's just so interesting how things change, you know, in life and how, like, 
I think what's neat is like you get like this heading like you know I don't know like like the North Star you know you're just like oh wow and then you kind of like set off after it but then like things kind of change along the way I think that's the most interesting thing and so I think what's I think what's really cool about life is like being able to live in like a lot of different ways I guess I don't know. I feel I feel really thankful for climbing in my life. I feel really thankful for jumping, wingsuiting. Um, I don't know. I guess there's a lot I feel thankful for. So I I um, I I am definitely happy with the way my life has gone. I I think it could have gone a lot of different ways. It can still go a lot of different ways. Um, I guess that's the weird thing, right? It's like you just never know what's going to happen. And I, I think I, that's, if more than anything, I think that's um, how I feel life right now. It's like I literally have no idea what's going to happen <laughs> ever. <laughs> <laughs> Which is like kind of weird, but I, I guess like the maybe it's better to think of it as like really great. Well, this interview, I thought <laughs> Steph knew what was going on. I was hoping to get the answers, and fuck, we're just fucking editing. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> what are you? Um, what are you looking forward to these days? What are uh, What are you thinking about? Are you gonna? Are you guys looking forward to coming um, to Europe what? again one of these days? I hope so. Um, we've been talking about it. It's life has been really weird for like a long time because because um, well, you know, Ian got really hurt in 2019. It was like two months after we got married, and then um, he was just like, you know, for a year. I basically was like, um, just that's what we were doing for like pretty much all of 2019 was just that, and then um, and then right when he was like more, you know doing better, more independent. I was like, I'm going to start going on trips again. Then the and whole then world started. got sick. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. The whole world shut down. I was like, really? <laughs> I was ready for it to be all fun again. And then, um, <laughs> and then um, right when COVID was kind of, I don't know, different for people in different places, but for us really felt winding down. Um, we had made the decision to build this house um, a little over a year ago. And then we just like went full immersion and like, you know, pounding nails every day and slinging concrete and just all that stuff. And so we did that, that that's was really immersion for like um, a good year. And we're just kind of coming out of it, that whole phase. And so I'm like, geez, life has been really weird for like four years. And so we're kind of really excited right now just to um, kind of like, wake up and be like time for new life <laughs> and um back to all the you know a lot more freedom than there has been for some time actually i mean for sure we've been doing things i mean ian's been a lot better obviously and you know been doing a lot more things but we haven't gone to europe for pretty much since 2018 and we've been starting to talk about that like you know are we gonna We'd love to just like transport back to the valley for a minute <laughs> or something like that. So, so yeah, right now it's pretty fun because we're just sort of like picking ourselves up and shaking ourselves off and being like, oh my God, we're not building a house every day. <laughs> and then <laughs> just getting back into the flow of, um, you know, what, what do we feel like doing? So that's why this morning we're like, we feel like wing sitting and, 
you know, I've been climbing a lot more and it's just been, it, it'll be really cool, I think, to see what happens this Good. year. Well, I'm excited to see what happens for you guys. Steph, yeah. um, running out of time. Um, it's funny cause like I'm, I, I'm drinking you wine and bed. you're, uh, you're, you're more like just started your day with, uh, two beautiful wingsuit jumps. Um, but, uh, okay. Well, it's three o'clock now, but yeah, um, <laughs> but yeah, sorry for keeping you up so late. It's been a total pleasure. Um, thank you so much for this conversation. Yeah. Say hi to Ellen. We'll do say hi to Ian. Okay. I will for sure. We hope you enjoyed this episode. If you have any thoughts about what you've just heard, please don't hesitate to hit us up. A big shout out to Mark Stockwell, our sound mixer and co-producer. We love you, man. If you'd like to learn more about the podcast, please visit exitpointpodcast.com. See you on the next one.